Hey everybody, we have a great episode for you today, but before we get started, I want to give you a heads up about a survey we're conducting this month to improve our podcast. You get to hear from us every single week, and now we really want to hear from you. We hope that your input will help make this podcast better for our audience by giving us your thoughts. The survey should only take a few minutes of your time, and it involves important questions like, what themes do you want us to cover in the next season? Are there any guests you want us to book? And how long do you really think an ideal episode should be? To fill it out, head over to https colon slash slash smr dot tl slash survey and let us know how we can make Elixir Wizards better for you. Okay, now here's the show. Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Sunday Mint, and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by my co-host, Owen Bickford. Hey, Owen. Hey, Sunday. And my producer, Bonnie Lander. This season's theme is Impact of Elixir, and we're joined today by special guest, Arthi Radhakrishnan. Hi, Arthi. So nice to have you back. Thanks for having me here. For the folks listening at home, Arthi came on a mini feature just about a year ago. We are recording in January of 2022. Oh my gosh. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> Happy New Year. I Happy can't New believe year. it's actually 2022. It's too many syllables, honestly. <laughs> so we can maybe just get right about this. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Let's go ahead and do this. So Arthi, you're joining us again, and we might have touched on this before, but bef- for people who maybe don't know you yet, uh, do you want to tell us about what you're up to, what you're doing, what's new with you? Just who are you in a snapshot? Who am I in a snapshot? Well, like Sunday said, my name is Arthi. Right now, I am a backend engineer at community.com. Community.com, really cool place. We build a platform that facilitates more personalized texting between folks who have an audience and their audiences themselves. So if you've ever seen anywhere on social media where people are like, text me, oftentimes that is community.com powering that text exchange. Yeah, I'm a backend engineer. I work on the Elixir stack out there. And that's me in a nutshell. And you, when we talked to you before, you had been working in Elixir for about eight months or so. So now it's been almost two years, right? Can I math right? Almost, not quite at that two-year mark, but we're quickly getting there. And it's been a wild ride. It's been a journey for sure. Yeah. And we definitely want to talk about that journey. Oh, and I want you to have a chance to ask any questions, but Arthi, I'd also love to just hear about, you know, the whole journey. Where did you start? How did you get here? <laughs> Let's see. How did it all start? So where it all began, I guess. I actually grew up in the Bay Area, so San Francisco Bay Area. When I was growing up there, it was a very different place. But suffice to say, I was surrounded by all sorts of tech. Silicon Valley was very different back then. There was no Twitter. There was no Fang companies. Nothing quite like that. But I think I was always surrounded by technology. And so it definitely bred in me a passion and interest in tech and grew up around computers. Always was eager to play on my computer, but that slowly evolved to building websites for different clubs and organizations in high school. And from there, I went into computer science in college. So I actually studied computer science at UC San Diego. 
which era of website building was this? Is this like GeoCities, MySpace, or like? Oh yeah, like a, definitely GeoCities. <laughs> Lots of fun with Dreamweaver too, but GeoCities okay. was GeoCities, and and all of the cool like additions to the GeoCities cursors that you could make. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. We shouldn't even be using <laughs> millennial or Gen Z. We should be saying like, I'm from right. the MySpace era. <laughs> or, I'm from <laughs> exactly. the GeoCities era. Yeah. That's so fun. I feel like we don't often, we hear so many stories about people who move to the Bay Area to pursue their dreams in tech. And very few times have I talked to somebody who was raised in it. What was that like? I mean, you said you were surrounded by tech, but were there any like special technology programs? Did you start really young? Well, let me tell you, when I mean surrounded by tech, I legit mean surrounded by tech. So when I was in elementary school, one of my elementary schools was in Cupertino, California, known for a little known company called Apple. And so from the playground where I would play on monkey bars and swing and stuff, you could see the like white turrets of the one infinite loop Apple campus. So it was really ubiquitous, like truly everywhere. And you said the word turrets, like a castle. Like I, that's how I envision it though, you know? We have this thing in Maryland. It's like off of the beltway. It's the, I think it's a Mormon church. Maybe I'm, I have that wrong, but from the beltway, it looks like Disney world. And so as children, there's this running joke that, you know, you grew up in like the DMV area. If you recognize Epcot or Disney world, but it's really just a church and it's really tall, but it's because it's on a hill. And that's how I feel like you had apples. Like, it looks like a castle to you. <laughs> to my little childhood self, playing on monkey bars, it for sure looked like a castle peeking out of the back of the playground. Are you like, did you have ambitions to like get to the castle someday? Or, or was it just like something kind of off in the distance? You know what? I think like it was kind of off in the distance, but this was actually the era of the candy looking IMAX. Okay. So like those were the computers that Apple so graciously donated to all of the little children at my school. And so those were the computers that we got to use and they were really cool looking computers. But but I do think that I have like a lot of mental associations with like those candy IMAX and thinking that they were so cool and thinking that like someday it would be cool to like work on those cool looking computers more. Yeah, I remember those too. Those were fun to look at. I think I was like not, I grew up in a place very far away from Silicon Valley and they were like special, like you had to have permission and supervision to be able to touch the computer, you know, in the early days. So So you're surrounded by candy computers. And when is the first time that you actually wrote some code? Definitely sometime when I was building my GeoCities pages, some casual HTML marquees everywhere, you know, classic. Um, Marquees, not even like, what are they called now? Carousels? You're talking about carousels didn't exist. No, but truth be told, I think that it was a very slow build too, because my understanding of computers from building websites for 
I don't know, for my like little clubs and stuff in high school was vastly different than what I then experienced going into college and studying computer science. And like I said, I went to school in San Diego. So the engineering department or the computer science department in particular at UCSD was heavily funded by Qualcomm because that was one of the bigger tech companies there. And Qualcomm, of course, builds like very specific types of devices and had like, I think their own agenda too. So a lot of my computer science education tended to be really low level too. So like our big, our big, like equivalent of a senior design project was that we had to build a compiler. And that's not anything that I think like either I thought of when I was like playing with my GeoCities websites or even anything that I feel like has been super relevant to my career and to my work life. And so it lies somewhere in between those, those like renditions of my past and present self. That's very interesting. So what would the first language you say you properly studied was? Yeah, first language was Java. So all of my core computer science fundamentals, everything I learned for a long time, the way I thought about for loops, everything was Java. So Java was a big foundational piece of every part of my computer science education and even into my first couple of jobs as well. Lots of Java and along with that, lots of object-oriented programming. And in fact, that's how like my computer science curriculum was all structured as well. Like a heavy, heavy focus on object-oriented programming, on all of those fundamentals. And that was a huge, huge foundation there. Do you remember something that kind of helped you kind of something that clicked like whenever you were kind of making the transition from like HTML, GeoCities pages to like managing data and objects and things like that? Yeah. So I'll tell you like one of our like big classes that I still actually think about now a lot today was like one of my biggest like core CS classes in the first few years was about data structures. So of course, like data structures in Java mean something different than they do to me now in my Elixir life. Data structures in Java also came along with a lot of like algorithms work as well. But with like the way that our curriculum was structured, there was a lot of emphasis on very specific, like very Java-based data structures. But to your point about how I like conceived of data and objects and stuff, I think a lot about that data structures class because it was it was coming up with, or not just coming up with, but it was really having to understand and learn a lot of these really specific Java-based things. And fast forward to my like current life and I work with lists and maps and there's not a whole lot of the other stuff that comes into play as much. Of course, like they're still highly relevant and I can find ways to conceive of what I do today with those OG data structures. Yeah. So what was that shift like object oriented to functional? This is something we talk about on the show all the time. And I'd love to know what your experience was when you kind of like first encountered functional programming. Boy, I think it was kind of a doozy. Um, I mean, I think like still to this day, so I guess to add a little bit more color and tell you a little bit more about some of my experience and journey as well. Coming out of college, I had a couple more jobs where I was working primarily with Java and then ultimately shifted to Python, Ruby, and now Elixir. And so 
it's been quite a transition. And even when I think about so much of what I had done prior to my Elixir work, it was still with Rails or with Django and everything was still like hugely object oriented. So that's been like, I would say the biggest transition by and far, because it almost becomes a crutch that you rely upon. And especially with some of these frameworks, it becomes very easy to abuse a lot of the object-oriented manner of thinking. And so shifting away from that takes like, it takes like conscientious effort. And Owen, you kind of went through a similar shift, right? In the different languages before you found Elixir? I've been through a few shifts. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, kind of going back to the transition from like GeoCities, kind of like purely like hand coding HTML, kind of that mentality to understanding data. I think the first time I started to kind of understand things a little bit better was tinkering with Jekyll, which is, a you know, like the static site generator for Rails. So that was probably five or six years ago, at least, oh, maybe 10 years ago I don't, by now. Yeah, so kind of playing with that and then kind of separating out, like if I want things to happen on the page that I didn't actually hard code, like trying to understand how to do that with data and APIs and stuff. But yeah, then, you know, years later, I started to learn JavaScript. But I was learning JavaScript around the time that it was kind of like, there was like the new functional programming kind of push. So I've kind of really come up through functional programming first. Yeah, I think there was there was a podcast episode, not ours, the Ladybug podcast, I think. They were talking about, JavaScript and is it object oriented? Is it functional? I actually regret saying this now because this is such a controversial subject. It's kind of <laughs> whatever just, you make it. It's, it's yeah, flexible. It's, so. Yeah, that was the TLDR of that episode was it's whatever you make it. And I really hadn't thought of it that way. I didn't think of, you know, my learning Java in college and my currently working in Elixir. Like I didn't think about how different they are fundamentally. So Arthi, you having gone through the shift yourself, it's actually really interesting to hear how you approached it. And I guess, what do you have a preference? I feel like I know the answer, but I don't want to assume. <laughs> I really love Elixir. It's been a lot of fun to learn. I think I'm still learning. I would by no means call myself like near expert level or anything. Like I think there's still so much for me to learn. And I think that's part of why I'm enjoying it so much because it does feel like there's a lot to learn and I'm enjoying the learning process. I think I probably mentioned previously, I didn't know Elixir prior to joining community and our tech stack and everything that we're using at community is very unique. Learning new languages while you're onboarding to a new job is also one hell of a way to learn. I think that in truth, aside from what I've just mentioned, all of my Java experience had been every time that I've learned a new language, a new framework, everything has really been on the job. And in some ways, that's me diving into the deep end for sure and and having to really like catch up fairly quickly. And honestly, for me, that's been the best way that I have learned as well. I second that. Like I've, I've learned a lot of things, not just programming languages, but interacted with a lot of, you know, new types of infrastructure just through work, you know, Cloud Foundry, things like that. So yeah, that definitely forces you to kind of especially if you need to like explain it to the rest of your team. Like if you're proposing something or making a decision, then you've got to learn about this new concept or this new domain and like be able to communicate 
what you've learned to everyone else. And that's a challenge sometimes. Right. And it's also having to learn all of these things to build and to write production ready code. So I think that it can be one of the most compelling ways to learn. And I think I've also been pretty fortunate to find companies and environments and places where I have been permitted to learn on the job. In some cases, there was perhaps some like there has, of course, been like some pre-existing knowledge that I've had going into some new language or new framework. But I think that I've been I've been fortunate and lucky to be able to learn a lot on my jobs. And for me, that has been paramount to my career and my successes here. You mentioned before that you have had many different experiences. You've had multiple jobs before community, and there are different kinds of work environments that are compelling to you. Can you dive into a little a little bit into that, into like what you were just talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I think sometimes when we get into the nitty gritty details of our technology careers, we forget that there's this huge human element and this huge element of how we work, who we work with and the type of culture that exists at these companies. And those things for me have tremendously shaped my jobs and my experiences and I just don't think like we cannot overstate enough the importance of culture in our careers. And, you know, this not just for the companies that we work at, but I think also for the Elixir community as a whole, like these cultures transcend just companies and play a big role in these communities, in the communities of languages and stuff as well. This is maybe tangential, but like I was watching The Matrix a couple of weeks ago. And you know how he, like he goes into like he's getting reprimanded by his boss, and it's like this dark kind of you know office building. Everyone's wearing suits and, and ties and everyone like super dressed up and everything. And it's like, wow, we've come a long way in the in what twenty twenty one years since you know this movie was made. And it's like, oh, the first Matrix. You're talking about the yes, original Matrix. OG Matrix. The, I, I was like, oh, like, are you about to do a spoiler alert on the podcast <laughs> for the first time because not everyone's seen the fourth I mean, one. Maybe spoiler alert, like he gets to talk to his boss once. That's all I'm talking about. But like even just aside, so he's a software developer. So obviously like offices, well, everything's changed now. But like like you're saying, like not just the software industry culture has changed, but I think even corporate culture at large has changed a lot over the past two years for sure, but even the past decade. Yeah, like we surely have pandemic to thank for some of the tremendous shifts in our collective cultures. But boy, I remember that scene exactly from The Matrix and those cubicles. And I want to tell you a little bit more about some of my actual summer internships in college too. But my first job out of college was actually at Red Hat and I was part of the consulting organization there. So what we got to do was actually travel to all the best office parks basically in the world and build out great solutions, software solutions for folks. I'm kind of being facetious with some of the best office parks piece, but like there were some that had really distinct cubicles, really gray. And it was like a combination of that Matrix scene and also some scenes out of Office Space. Office <laughs> such a classic movie. Right. <laughs> but you're not saying that people were coming around the cubicles with uh, matrix e guns coming at you. <laughs> no, just TPS reports. Right. <laughs> <laughs> missing staplers. Yeah. So, yeah. What about those other internships? You had a, a few be, being able to get into the 
break into their career? Yeah. So my summer internships in college tremendously shaped my entire vision of my like job search, my career, everything that I really came to want out of my jobs as well. So the two big summer internships that I had could not be more different than one another. My first summer internship was at a super small startup at the time. I think they are they've since gotten much bigger, but it was called Lumosity and they make these brain games. And at the time they were games written in Flash, but it was a group of like a group of just like 10 or so folks. It was in the Soma district of San Francisco, right across the street from Twitter in the South Park area. And they're like, I remember once going to get coffee and there was like a sign that I saw on a door and it was a fail whale because that was the Twitter office at the time. And I just remember feeling so not only that though because it was it was that juxtaposed with also the building I was in was shared with the wired magazine headquarters was on the top floor and so for me like as a really young student to be able to be in San Francisco at this really pivotal time and experience so much of this was huge, so tremendous and like was very rejuvenating, inspiring and start juxtaposition from learning assembly and stuff in college. And like to be just in the thick of things was so exciting. And that was actually my first experience in like doing a lot more self-learning as well because they had a rail stack. And so they gave me a book at the beginning of my summer and said, you know, learn some rails. And I was like, okay, I guess so. I'll try. And I got to go through and build out a few small features here and there. And it was, when I think about it now, like, wow, like how much autonomy they gave like a student to be able to do stuff. And it was an incredible experience. Yeah, I just want you to think about for a second that you got paid to learn, which is the stark opposite from the rest of your where you're going to school, you're paying to learn. And I'd argue that the internship probably teaches you better than oh my some God. of the stuff in universities these days. So, Absolutely. you know, I oh remember absolutely. I had my first summer internship while some of my friends were taking CS classes over the summer. They were trying to like make up for classes or whatever the summer courses were. And I was learning stuff and they were learning stuff. And they were like, yeah, but the difference is you're getting paid and I'm paying. <laughs> Gosh, that's so true. And I'll add though, like I've been fortunate, I think, to like find those spaces and carve out those spaces throughout my other jobs as well to be able to learn while still delivering, but still like having time and space, having like really just even the brain space to continue to do some learning at any job, I think is so crucial, so paramount to any, like any uh, developer's success as well. It's otherwise a real great recipe for burnout and disaster to just have folks need to do lots of learning outside of their jobs and outside of the time that they're getting paid. And if companies can't afford to have folks learn on the job, then you can probably pretty much bet that your employees and your bottom line are going to be a lot better off for it. Yeah. And can you talk some about what that looks like for you on a daily basis, getting time to learn, how you balance that with any deliverables that you might have? I think that's just 
something that a lot of people are trying to balance out now, especially new year, new goals, new me. (laughs) Oh yeah. New year, new me. Actually, you know, this is kind of interesting. So I was previously unfamiliar with Advent of Code, but more recently introduced to Advent of Code by some of my teammates. And I'll admit that the month of December was really crazy busy for me. And so I didn't get to keep along as some of my teammates did, but I have of course, like seeing that there is like a nice, huge library of tons of different coding challenges to be able to, I don't even know how many years, I'd say like, well, at least 10, if not more, right? Years worth of like, different small challenges that you can embark upon to figure out and write solutions for. And that's been super fun. And it's been like a nice way to just try to find small times and spaces to just write something that will help me like learn some, like not even just learn, but just like also like do some mind bendy puzzles that can like help you figure out more, just learn some. Yeah. And it's really cool that Advent and Code is the same question and people in every language try to do it. And of course they're posting their answers and it's like interesting to see the same solution multiple ways in multiple languages. And that really broadens the way that you think about things. Granted, I looked at the first three days and never again. <laughs> it's December. <laughs> it's just such a hard month to do something like that in. Yep. You've got holidays and end of the year things that you're trying to wrap up deadlines and stuff. And it's just like, oh, that's the last thing on my list. But I really did try to follow it. The first Is it week. always uh, December? I guess Advent of Advent, would be in December. Yeah. yeah. It's always December, but hot take here. I'm not going to do them in December and I'm going (laughs) to do them all totally out of order in all sorts of weird years. And also like one of the things is also that they tend to be in different parts. And I've kind of realized that maybe I don't need to do the entire thing. Maybe I can just pick away at some part of it and I can use that as a really great learning experience for myself too. It doesn't have to be the entire thing and finding, and I think this is like something that's been really helpful for me in learning. I don't have to learn to the like, A plus level degree that in my head, I think I do. Like I can just learn something and something is going to be better than nothing. So you're going to be live streaming some Advent uh, code sessions? Summer of code. Summer of code. Yeah, summer of code. Yeah. Yeah, just (laughs) we'll see. But (laughs) Christmas in July. I like it. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I took the same approach, Arthi. I when I was looking at the stuff, I think the first day I did actually try to solve the solution. And then I but I was time boxing myself because I was like, you burn out so fast. So let's just give yourself 45 minutes to look at it. I got nowhere in the first 45 minutes. I felt so bad about myself. And then I was talking with some folks at the Elixir holiday party that we like impromptu put together. And they were like, oh, yeah, I didn't finish that till 2 a.m. Or, yeah, that took me like three hours. And I was like, oh, okay, I feel a little better now. It wasn't just me. (laughs) Yeah. So I still try to learn something in the sense that I gave myself some time to think about the problem. I didn't just read the problem, read solutions. I did try to think about it a little bit before going and seeing how different people approach the same problem. I felt like I learned a lot from that. And I think, yeah, something is better than nothing is a really good way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times we can be really hard on ourselves for needing to learn to a certain degree or perform to a certain degree and using it as an opportunity to instead be a little bit more compassionate towards ourselves and finding 
and honestly, this has been like a probably lifelong practice and something that has been a super transformative experience for me, figuring out how to be a little bit more compassionate to myself in my learning or picking up new skills or embarking on any new journey. With Advents of Code, it's been super nice to try and probably like like you're kind of alluding to sometimes maybe fail by certain metrics that I have in my head too but maybe I'm able to think about some solution or maybe I'm not and maybe I do need to go look at some other folk solutions but if I can figure out how to implement something then that's still a win in my book I'm curious like so when you're kind of done with advent of code for the year you're picking up a new skill. Obviously, you've read, you know, Rails book to get up to speed on that. Are there, like, what's your preference if you're learning something new? Do you like, like some people like me, I, I kind of start with uh, video tutorials or like tours and th that kind of thing. And then I get into the docs, but everyone's different. So I'm curious about your preferences. Yeah. So empirically, I will sign up for tons of tutorials, buy lots of resources, and then flip through the first 10 pages of everything and then not finish any of them. So I really mean what I said, like very sincerely about it being a transformative experience to learn how to be more compassionate to myself about different types of learnings. I think like, like coming from the way that I was taught and how my academic environment tended to be like with school, like it's been a necessity to figure out like new ways of learning that feel more appropriate for me. And I think like the one thing I will say is that my approach to learning has been constantly evolving. When I was 19 and in college, I could stay up until 3 a.m. with a Red Bull and like cram. I cannot do that anymore. And because I cannot do that anymore, I've had to find new ways of learning. And again, this is why I, I really I want to like impart upon whoever is listening that like, I think it's okay to learn on the job. And if that means reading Stack Overflow and reading documentation on the job while you're building out a solution, I think that's like really great and really compelling. And you're using the tools at your disposal, distilling all of the tons of information that exists on the internet to come up with the best solution for what you need to build. As engineers, like we often want to build the very best solution and over-engineer and over-architect things. And sometimes it's really stepping away from all of that and figuring out like, okay, but like real talk, what do I need to build right now for this particular thing? And that's a skill that comes just with experience and time and figuring out how do I take all of this information and really figure out what do I need right now? Yeah, this is the exact energy we want to go into this year with. I am here for it. <laughs> Speaking of giving yourself space to learn and being compassionate to yourself, you also surround yourself by a really great team. You mentioned at the beginning talking about having a good work environment, the ethos of a work environment that maybe gives you the space to learn. Can you speak to that a little more? Yeah, absolutely. I feel really fortunate to... Like, you know, like I think I'm I'm in a fortunate position right now. I can I can talk about this compassion that I'm trying to show myself and that I also intend to show my teammates and any other members in the community. And I'm able to do that because I'm in a work environment where I feel I'll tell you like a few of the attributes that I feel like I'm getting right now from my work environment that kind of like rejuvenate me that I think we can try to embody more of, like you said, in this new year. I feel like my work environment is a very respectful one. I feel respected. I feel like 
My teammates are very communicative and collaborative. And for me, these are three huge, huge, huge things that like are pillars of what builds us as a community on a macro level and on a micro level. Like these are huge, huge things that we cannot overemphasize. Like these are tremendous facets of what our jobs are, of what our careers are, of what being a programmer is. Yeah, 100% agree. And Owen and I actually got to meet a bunch of your coworkers uh, at ElixirConf. (laughs) And we can confirm, Earthy is not just, uh, I'm waving my hands around, I can't think of a word. (laughs) They are absolutely fun people. Would you like to hear a fun story involving your coworkers? Oh my gosh, absolutely. (laughs) We were just hanging out in the lobby after one of the dinners and we were just kind of chatting. And then Jeff, apparently you guys have like three Jeffs, but Jeff Smith? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Comes downstairs wearing a Psyduck sweater. (laughs) And I just, my brain completely stopped working. I was like, I want this sweater. I bought that sweater. And now we are Psyduck sweater matching friends. (laughs) (laughs) Another way to distinguish generations is if someone can recognize one of the original 150 instead of, I don't know. Whatever. What number they're on now? Four? four Whatever weird yeah, number. No. This is a Pokemon reference for those of you who <laughs> are maybe not quite there. Yes, Psyduck is a Pokemon. I mean, it's such a cute sweater. Psyduck is like flat on his stomach, just in the way that he always is, looking confused, but up in the air. I mean, it was just so perfect. I love it. And if that wasn't just like, a, I don't know, it, that just felt like such a good indicator to the kind of culture you have a community not that we hadn't already known a little bit but that was very fun and i just I, wanted to relay that for everyone, <laughs> for everyone Star Duck, i love this Psyduck is always the star of the show when it makes an appearance with sunday yes yes <laughs> it wasn't even my favorite pokemon <laughs> who's your favorite pokemon Ooh, hard questions are hard questions i mean i feel like it was eevee for a long time just like the fox but i was thinking about this recently actually and i feel like it was probably more accurately mew or meowth i do make the same faiths as meowth there's like a gif out there of meowth being very excited and i had coworkers in a previous life who used that gif to describe me about popcorn so i have a kinship to meowth too what about you favorite pokemon um mine was jigglypuff i have no idea why but it was also my favorite thing to doodle. So like if I ever encounter old notebooks or whatever, there are just tons of Jigglypuffs everywhere, specifically the little curl on mm-hmm. his forehead. Yeah. I don't know. Owen, you have one? Well, so <laughs> my interaction with Pokemon is limited to Smash Brothers. So Pikachu like people used to get so mad at me when I'd play Pikachu because it's just the most annoying thing to hear Pikachu like scream for like 15 minutes. You nah, know, that or Jug- Jigglypuff. But yeah, <laughs> I loved it. A very well, we had to have somebody choice. say. Mm-hmm. We had to have somebody say <laughs> Pikachu, truly. Yeah. Wow. Truly a classic choice. Yeah. I'm glad that we got to this very important point on our agenda today. So. Pika, 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 Pika. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Um, I absolutely love this story, though, as a way to depict some of my teammates as well, because I really appreciate and have a deep respect for 
a lot of my teammates. I mean, I think like for me, one of the things about community is that we have so many folks who are very involved in the community. You know, one of the reasons that I was excited to learn Elixir at community is because there are folks who are contributors to Elixir, like core contributors to Elixir. And there's also folks who give lots of conference talks, who author books about Elixir and who host conferences even about Elixir. And so to me, it's such a tremendous group of people to work alongside. Also, side note, very intimidating, but They've been super approachable in any questions that I have ever had about anything. And also, like, special shout out to three of the folks who, like, really helped me learn Elixir when I first joined. My three first teammates were Joe Merriweather Webb, Sebastian Abundano, and Sevi Salazar. Also, specific, like, shout out to Sevi in particular. He, like, really, really helped shape my view of Elixir and has been, like, a continued mentor for me along the way. That's been huge to just have people who I know I can go to without yeah, what does good mentorship look like to you? Like, what is effective for you as somebody who's learning something to have a mentor who knows something about anything that you're trying to learn? What is a good learning technique for you when you're working with a mentor? Hands down, my favorite way to learn anything is pair programming. I love pair programming. I love being able to step through code. I love being able to also sit on, well, I mean, obviously now it's all Zoom screens or whatever, screen sharing, internet things. But I love being able to open a shell and be like, okay, but like, what if I did this? And what if I did this? And then sometimes there is someone on the other end who can tell me like specifically what's going on. And honestly, that's been just the best way for me to have learned anything. And I think it takes a specific skill to pair well and to also have the capacity to really explain like we just spent some time talking about like what does it take to like really be able to explain something new and you have to understand it and then if you can cultivate that type of relationship with someone where you can you can ask questions they can explain and then you can say like okay wait hold on let me just like check that I'm understanding and repeat back to them <laughs> boy let me tell you that's been great for me yeah, I concur. High five. Virtual pair high five. <laughs> you know, our season theme is the impact that Elixir has on people, on communities, not community.com, but communities. I, have, I feel like I always have to make this distinction when I'm talking <laughs> to you guys. But I was just thinking about how I'd love to follow up with, you know, what this impact has been like for you. But I also am thinking about the conversation we've had. And I feel like we've heard, you know, you talk a lot about what the impact has been, you know, you have this really phenomenal outlook on learning and you've learned a lot about yourself and how you prefer to grow. And I feel like you got a lot of that from Elixir. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I think, you know, I landed in Elixir and like Elixir has been a major contributor in helping me shape and hone a lot of these ideas. But I'll be frank with you, it's also come as a result of some, what, 10 plus years now of experience working in software and having to really pare down and distill like so much different 
experiences and learning to figure out what works for me and what doesn't. And, you know, kudos to people who are able to get to this point in like two years or a year or a month. But honestly, I think that so much of where I've landed today is a reflection of years of very hard work, some successes, some failures, and really figuring out like how to learn from so many different experiences as well. How do you share the things you've learned? So like you're coming into a code base that hasn't benefited, just hypothetically speaking, let's say you're working on some open source project or something and it's hasn't seen the light with Elixir and you're like, oh, Elixir can fix all this. How do you kind of share the things you've learned, whether it's Elixir or just like structure or like best practices with uh, someone new? Again, I think that, I mean, I know like if we're talking about open source languages maybe or open source libraries, this may not be as relevant. But for me, like, again, I think that I would come back to pairing. Like, I just think like having the forum and the ability to actually have a direct conversation and communication to express some ideas or some learnings and sure, stepping through code along with that, but being able to do that in a more face-to-face setting, even if it's just over the internet, is so tremendous and has such huge impacts as well. And I think like, you know, we all have so many ideas and it's in learning how to communicate these ideas and how to share them and what are the right forums for these ideas and what are the right forums, not just the right forums, but what are the right means to share certain ideas. And of course, like a lot of times too, one of the things that I have appreciated about the Elixir community and about community.com as well is that oftentimes things can be documented and written and then read as well. And I think, again, that's like a different but very similar form of communication where it's really like putting pen to paper and writing certain ideas down. So whether it's in a written form or in a spoken form, like actually like the impact of words is tremendous in communicating (laughs) ideas. That's really cool to hear. And I appreciate that you, you know, you've gone through this journey and you're now in a position where you can speak about things that you learned so that hopefully somebody who's coming in the future can maybe have an easier time of it. That's always a fun cycle for us to go through. I hope so. And I think also, you know, one of the things about this thing that we've all chosen to do is that it's constant learning. I think it's really just constantly learning and constantly evolving how we learn and what we learn. And I don't think that the learning stops. I don't think that the growing stops. I think it just keeps going and keeps changing and evolving. Which is a perfect segue into my next question. How do you see Elixir changing and evolving and growing in the next five to 10 years? Where do you see that going? You know, I think this has probably been echoed in so many conversations that we've all had before, but Elixir has not tended to be anyone's first language. So my like wish for Elixir, my dream for Elixir is also that we can find collectively as a community, we can find ways to help introduce people to programming through Elixir. So one of the things that I had done in a pre-pandemic world when you could socialize a little bit more was go to different meetups like there's Django Girls or Rails Bridge. And these are such compelling ways to help introduce people to not just a language, but to programming. And I really hope and hope to see Elixir 
being one of those languages that can get people into programming. Because at the end of the day, like if we're talking about a for loop, you can talk about a for loop in any language. It doesn't have to be some specific language. And I think there are so many ways that we've begun to in this world and like really culturally shift introducing people to programming and to programming concepts. And I'm super stoked to see how we can begin to do that more with Elixir. A bright future you've painted for us. I hope we get there. New year, new us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. New year, new us. I think that'll be our tagline. Great. Well, Arthi, I want to give you a chance to give any final plugs or ask for the audience your time to shine. Do you have anything you want to say to anyone? Where can people find you on socials if you want to be found? <laughs> I'm not like super big in social media. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I have my dark corners where I reside, but <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but, you know, like really have loved chatting with you. I'm really excited about seeing how the Elixir community grows and hope to get like more involved with some of the meetups and some of the other things that are going on in this community and looking forward to that bright future. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Arthi. This has been a blast. And yes. for all the meetup organizers out there who just heard Arthi volunteer herself for several meetups in the <laughs> U.S., continental U.S., so excited for you all. But yeah, so that's it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again to our guest, Arthi Radhakrishnan, for joining us today. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic production. Today's hosts include myself, Sunday Mint, and my co-host, Owen Bickford. Our producer is Bonnie Lander, and our executive producer is Rose Burt. Here at SmartLogic, we build custom web and mobile software. We're always looking to take on new projects. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Kubernetes, and more. If you need a piece of custom software built, hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Follow at SmartLogic on Twitter for news and episode announcements. And you can also join us on the Elixir Wizards Discord. Just head on over to the podcast page to find the link. And don't forget to join us next week for more on the Impact Elixir, the finale. Hey everybody, before we sign off, I just want to remind you to fill out our audience survey. We love making these podcasts and we want to know how we can make them even better. Just go to https colon forward slash forward slash smr period tl forward slash survey. Thanks for listening.